Continuing on, chapter 6, we're in 14, okay? And he commanded him, he said, to keep the commandments without sin or stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Okay, keep his will and commandments. You are to be holy, harmless, and undefiled, without spot or wrinkle, and only possible by Christ in you and you submitting to him, walking in the Spirit. And said, looking uh for the coming of the Lord, appearing of Christ. We hope and we wait for this event. And every Christian must live as if he will come at any time. And if not that, he could die at any time. So if you're not ready to die, you're not ready for the Lord to come back. If you're not walking in the Lord's will, you're not going to have time as the foolish virgins did not to get ready. There is no time to get ready. It will happen in a moment of time. So if you have spot or wrinkles, you're disobeying the Lord in areas, you're going to be left behind. John says you'll be ashamed or disappointed at his coming. Why? Because you're not going. He don't consider you his. You'll live through a horrible times. You might get saved during that time. But he said you'd always be ready for the Lord's rapture or to die. He may call you tonight. See, you don't always tell us what he's doing in every case. Okay? But every Christian must live as if he will come at any time or that he may die that night as he sleeps. Most people die in their sleep. Okay? 15. But when he comes, he will bring about at the proper time the Lord with the sovereign God, he is him, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, while on earth, did not know when he was coming back that way because he was in human flesh and he had to grow in wisdom and knowledge and trust the Spirit to give him information. But he was not given that while he was on earth. He's given it now because he is God. He knows all of these things but he was limited as the human and he had to grow in obedience and wisdom as a human being. That's what was required of him, okay? So we all have to live our life as if the Lord's coming or you may die tonight or during the middle of the day, okay? And then he says in 15, he will bring about at the proper time, that's when he's chosen to, and he's given the title to Almighty God that Jehovah's given. He is the only blessed and sovereign that there is. He's the King of King and Lord of Lords. He's the creator. If you study our scripture, Hebrews and other scripture, it's that he created the world. It was made by him and for him. Do all things exist? Because he is the eternal God. I and the Father are one. I am the great I am. The demons saw that before the apostles did. They said, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Well, the Holy One of Israel was Jehovah. They understood that. And they were afraid he was going to cast them into hell because he made hell. And he judged them and cast them out of heaven. Okay? 16. Who alone, this is God, Christ, he possesses immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light 
a presence, a truth, whom no man has seen or can see. In the human flesh, nobody could comprehend, and they would drop dead in his presence. Because uh-huh. he's an excessively different being, and we are earthly beings, and we're still bound to this earth. And even Moses could only see a part that God chose to show him and the back part of him. He didn't see God fully. And yet he was a very holy man. And some of the prophets were. Uh huh. But he says, no man can see him and live. Jesus saw him in the transfiguration. Jesus had a relationship with him because there was no sin, no original sin, no practicing sin. He was sinless when no other man lived that kind of life, okay? So he alone possesses this everlasting, eternal existence, not having a beginning, not having an end, the existing one, that everything exists by him, okay? So he's telling us, and he says, to him be all honor and eternal dominion. It's everlasting what he's creating. Those could be with him, eternal, blessed, everlasting life. Those who own everlasting punishment and the wrath of God shall abide on them, which is a consuming fire, which God himself says he is a consuming fire. There is no place that God is not. He fills the universe and outside the universe. Everything spiritual, everything is upheld by Christ, okay? So he talks of the eternal God and the creator. He is the great I am. He is the existing one. In his pure nature, no man, nothing earthly could approach him in any form, okay? The angels behold who he is. It says they know him face to face. That means they know him as he wants to be revealed to them. As much as they're capable, they have that kind of relationship that wherever they are in the universe, they have the full presence of God. They don't have to wait to get back to heaven because God is everywhere. He can manifest himself everywhere because he is everywhere. They have that kind of relationship. And John says, we are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. And when we cross over, he said, we shall know him as we are known. It means whatever God made the angels and humans for, they will be in the fullest presence, and they won't be in heaven saying, oh, I want to know you more. I know they will know him as they were meant to be. They'll have that relationship for what he made them to be, even for eternity, okay? So none can see him or comprehend him now. We're looking through a dark mirror. We have not put on immortality. But when we put on immortality, then we shall know him. And Jesus said, you'll be as the angels. And he said, Jesus made an interesting statement. He says, my father's angels, they always behold his face. It means the full glory of who he is and what they were meant to be. He said, always the angels do. And you will be like the angels, okay? He dwells in eternity. He has no past. He is the eternal present. He predicts things for us. But he doesn't live in the past and the future. He lives in eternal now. He's the God of the I am. Uh Only does he use I was and will be 
when he's speaking of Christ on earth or his resurrection to explain who he was in the book of Revelation. But he was before that, he was the I am. I always existed. He deals with us in time, but he's in the eternal present. Uh He's who he is, uh, everlasting eternal life in himself, okay? And Jesus was given a limited life as a human, and he said, as the Father has life in himself, he has given the Son. And now they've been in union, and he still has his humanity in heaven. He has his full Godhead, and he still upholds his humanity for man's sake. Whatever was given to him, Jesus said, we will inherit and we will share with him. So that's another reason these things were done. Verse 17, instruct those. He goes back to the subject of money and riches we talked about. Instruct means to teach those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So instruction means to teach. Teaching is instruction, expounding. Okay. So those rich Christians, and we see it again, not many, but he says the rich Christians, those who are rich, there were some, be careful to let not your riches cause you to be tied to worldly things and coveting. And Paul already warned, many of you that desire to be rich will fall into many temptations. He warned against it. But he didn't say you couldn't have. Providence and certain things puts people in that position. Uh And he didn't say you have to throw it away. He said you have to use it right or you will not make it into the kingdom. Okay? So again, the money itself, there's nothing wrong with it. Let not it bring you, drag you into the world system. People who are rich in the world are proud and arrogant often. They don't have need of anything. They don't you know, they think differently. They think they're better because they got their money. Uh, they're entirely deceived, okay? So you're not to become proud uh, if you're a Christian and think you're special because of what you have on this earth. Uh, that is a fallacy and a lie. God called one of the best churches. He said, you're in deep poverty. That was because of their persecution. Everything has been taken from He said, but you're rich. And to the Laodiceans, They said, we're rich and have need of nothing. Can you see their arrogance? They didn't need anything. They have money. And yet Jesus said, you're poor, blind, and naked. You don't have no righteousness. You make me sick to my stomach is what he said. I'll spew you out of my system. And he was doing it. Uh So he told them, he warned them what their money had done to them. Okay. They allowed it to happen. Okay. So riches are changeable. Riches, uh, the love of money, is coveting and idolatry, which we keep saying, idolatry. Covetousness, Paul said, and I want you to know this, he said, a covetous person is an idolatry. And Paul said, and you know, it means he's making it clear that no idolatry has eternal life in him. So these people that are given over to prosperity and materialism and live for this world, they don't have Christ in them. That's what Paul said, because they are an idolater. Okay? So money and things never give proof 
of a person's spirituality. God basically said through Paul, godliness with contentment's a great gain. Whatever your lot, up or down, back or forth, you need to stay in your relation with the Lord because those things may change, and they may change overnight, okay, because they're of the earth. Riches are changeable, okay? So trusting God, who richly gives all things to enjoy. So monies are to be used in the right path. Within moderation, uh, people can use money. It has good things that it can do with it. It can help people. You'll find the main emphasis by Paul is to meet your needs and to help other Christians. So the accumulation of millions and billions, as many of these false religious leaders are, that is nothing but idolatry and covetousness. person dies with multi-million dollars. He can't be a Christian if you examine what he's done with it. He's hoarding it up for some reason, and it's not going with him. He's misused and mismanaged God's possessions. Because the Christian, whether he's rich or poor, he's God's steward. And everything he has belongs to God. And he's actually a slave. And God says you can richly enjoy these things. He didn't say to abuse them. He didn't say to make idolatry out of it. He didn't say to abuse it or to live in self-indulgence. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be past some of these things. But that's another false doctrine out there that is going to lead many people to hell. Okay. Then verse 18, teach them to do good. Who? The rich Christian. To be rich in good works. Uh Uh-uh, that's going to get them in trouble. To be generous and ready to share. Well, if you got riches, uh huh, and you give God just a little portions of it, and well, I've given my tithe. Well, that wasn't even required under the new covenant. Everything belongs to God. He can require any of it anytime he wants to. Uh-huh. I heard a story many years ago, hundred years ago. Or so, some guy, Christian, became very wealthy because of the business he was in, and he was fair and honest. And in prayer, he told the Lord. I'm going to give you 10% of everything I make in this business. And he said, then the Lord answered him and said, no, I want 90%. You keep the 10%. And that's what he did. See, that was God's right. He had to remember who he belonged to and who he was a steward of and who he was a slave of. And he remembered that. And he did just that in his future business. Okay? generous, Uh rich in good works. So if you're rich in money, you're expected to give a lot more than the average person can, or the person that lives from day to day, or the person that's in bare poverty at times because of their Christian faith or because things happen and God's testing them. You're not going to get by and be able to squander. To live in self-indulgence cannot be a Christian. To live for materialism cannot be a Christian. So when a Christian has five and six and ten homes, which is not a business, which he's not renting out or anything, that he's living in himself, and seven airplanes, and all of this, and he has millions in the bank account, he is not a Christian. He's false. He's an idolatry. Okay? He loves this world and materialism. Okay? And now we go to 19. He said, by doing this, now remember what he's talking about. 
storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future. What's the future? Everlasting life, heaven. So that they may take hold of that which is in life and seed. If you do not spend your monies well as a rich person, you will not inherit eternal life. Oh, I know people say, well, I've said the prayer and it's all grace. Well, you've been lied to. Your spiritual works and what you do with things prove who you are. And so if you are self-indulgent and you're not a good steward of God's money, you're going to give an account for it. And you cannot expect to live in heaven if you live like the world and an idolatra in this world. So we can enjoy things, all Christians at every level. He said he's given us. But again, that's within moderation. That's not within excesses. You do not find any encouragement or any confirming that Christians live self-indulgency and luxury you know, and pampered themselves. That shows a self a carnal work of nature tied to this world. And Paul had once said before, set your mind on heavenly things, not on things of the earth. Well, if you're not doing that, your actions prove that. A lot of people say, well, I'd give it the Lord. Boy, he's already told you what to do. See, they want a clear word because they don't want to give it up. The Bible's already told them. If you're rich, you better be rich in good works. You better be a good steward. And you must remember who you belong to, and then everything you have, you're going to get an account for. So if you squander it on luxury and appeasing your nature and, and uh, the pleasures of this life, then you're not going to make it into the kingdom because you can't hold on to Christ and do this. So you cannot have eternal life, okay? So that's what he wants people to do. Some people that are rich Christians, God's given them giving ministries, and they give, and great proportions they give, and they still have, and they can live within moderation, but they don't need six airplanes and seven houses, something wrong with them, they're bound, that action proves their heart, they can talk all they want, but they get richer and richer, and proportion-wise, they're skimpy. Well, God's considering all this, okay? 20. And now he says, Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and uh, the opposing arguments, which is falsely called a knowledge or philosophies of the world, okay? What is he talking about? He says, God, keep sound doctrine. You have to guard sound teaching. You're not to lose or forfeit it. He's already said, hold on to eternal life. We have to hold on to these things. We're in a warfare. We're in a pilgrimage. Not only to serve the Lord, we have to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, and not let the world, the flesh, and the devil overtake us and drag us back into the world system. Uh -huh. That's what he's talking about. So you hold on to what you have attained, because you can lose that. See, a lot of people don't want to believe that. <laughs> yeah, they want false assurance. And they'll stand speechless the day of judgment when they're cast into the lake of fire. You know why they'll stand speechless? Because of the day of judgment, they'll see the truth of God's word. The devil won't be able to deceive them. Their own nature won't be able to lie to them. They'll see that law and where they broke it, 
and they'll see they justly get what they deserve, and there's nothing for them to say. There's no argument. It's done, okay? They'll know the full truth in Judgment Day, okay? So what is he saying? Pay no attention to false teachings, worldly reasonings, and such. He says, not from God. Worldly teachings and such, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They speak a lot, and a lot of them are religious people. A lot of them go to seminary, and they're just as lost as whatever went in. They've mixed a little Christianity with their world philosophies. They've left the simplicity of the gospel, and they try to make the gospel into something that only people who take in Greek and Hebrew can understand. I just think that's fascinating. Because I've read the people who know perfect Greek and perfect, and they study it, and they still disagree with each other, the same as the common person does. Because the word ain't that hard to understand. But they pervert it because the devil instigates them. They're not called of God. They give worldly, demonic wisdom. And yet they're intellectuals. The Pharisees and scribes were like that. And Jesus told them, you'll die in your sins. And the common people received him readily. And they saw these things. But he didn't allow. And he said, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. You've hidden these things from the intellectual and the worldly understanding noble. But you've revealed it to the simple. It's God that's not giving it to them. He's letting them not see the spiritual side. Oh, they can quote scripture. They just don't have it in them. And they're not a part of Christ. But they're religious. Many, many of them are religious, okay? So ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're unspiritual. They're lost and opposed to godliness and true spiritual things. Not many of the world, remember, the noble, the wise, and you could put the rich in there, will be Christians. They cannot give up those things. The more they have, the more they hold on to in this age. See, God has not made a special gospel to keep them out. They have so much more of the world and its pleasures that they're going to have to give up more to come to the Lord. Moses did it. Paul did it. They were the wise and the rich, and they gave it up. Mm -hmm. So we need to see this, but as a whole, man loves himself and loves to pamper himself, and most of them can't do it. And so that's why Paul said, you that would be rich are going to fall into many lusts that will drown you in hell. You don't find one encouragement to be rich. He just says, you that are rich, now here's what you do. So the seeking of riches, apart from God's wisdom and God's providence, is a dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing, okay? Verse 21, in closing we will, he said, which some, okay, some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Some who? Some of these rich people get caught up into vain. Well, many Christians do today, whether they're rich or not. They get caught up in these vain philosophies and new age teachings and compromising gospel, and they still think they're Christians. Uh-huh. 
but they professed one time and they lived the Christian life because you have to read the context here. They have gone astray. That means you were in a certain position and you left it. That's what backsliding is. That's what falling away is. You once had something. He's not talking about a professing Christian like most people. He's saying those who had it. And Paul taught that, did he not? He said, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Peter taught that. It means they were true Christians, and they followed the Lord, and they tasted of the powers of the world to come. But they strayed for the love of money, the love of pleasures, not understanding their duties to God to uphold spiritual warfare and be right before him and stay with him. So they've gone astray from the faith, not the possession of faith. So they fall away. Who? The once saved, always saved people. They fall away. Those who think they're eternal secure, they fall away. They pervert the grace of God into a license of sin. They've already given over to lying philosophies. You know, God loves me no matter what, and he'll save me, and it's all grace, irresistible grace, and so I can live like the devil here on the earth, and I'm still going to heaven. Well, the demons let them believe that, and God sometimes don't interfere. He'll send an illusion to those who persist in their demonic activities, okay? The ones who fail to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, they will fall away. Okay, they will go astray. The ones who fail in their pilgrimage, in their spiritual race and warfare, the ones who fail their probation, the once saved, always saved, again, we said, the backslider, the apostate, the one cut off from God's grace, and he's cut off from the vine. He once was in the vine, he had Christ. The Christian that did not continue in faith. He did not continue in grace. He did not continue in the will of the Lord. Doesn't say professing Christians or false Christians. He doesn't even call them tares. They were weak and they went back because they have a will and they're capable still of being tempted in the lower nature, which they are to keep down, but they did not do this. Okay. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Make your word practical. You said to the righteous, all all your words are plain. But the sinner, you said, shall never understand. We know he will understand that one truth at the day of judgment for him to be sentenced to everlasting punishment. He will be told why, and he'll understand he gets just what he deserves. He won't be deceived. He won't be thinking, why did I end up here? I don't belong here. He'll know that where he belongs because of his life. Give us wisdom to hold on to spiritual things. In Christ's name, amen.